Hello, and welcome to Not If I Reboot You First, the podcast where we take our favorite properties and what do we do with them? We reboot them. It's in the title. Um, and we do it before Hollywood has the chance to. It's like we're brainstorming over the fan fiction. I'm Lindsay, and I use she, her pronouns. I'm Tanner, I use they, them, and it's People's Choice Week, and the people have chosen for me to reboot the film GBF, and I made the mistake of hyper-focusing on pretty much everything but the movie over this past week, so I have no idea what I'm doing. Uh-oh. Like, my, my idea, the reason I put it on the list was simply because I recalled the film and I thought, you know, this could possibly be expanded into a TV series. Okay. That was where my thoughts began and ended. Ah. Because every... Into every generation, not even every generation, every... There must always be at least three teen soaps on air at a time. Mm -hmm. So that the children have people they can relate to, theoretically. Or, or at least have garbage television that they can see the funhouse mirror that it reflects their reality. That's what Riverdale is. Yeah. But let, let, me, let me summarize the plot of the movie. GBF is a film that came out in 2013. It, naturally, it stands for Gay Best Friend. It is about a gay guy named Tanner. Hmm. <laughs> so Tanner and his best friend Brent, and Brent is also gay, and they both go to a school in a New Jersey suburb, and it's dominated by three feuding cliques led by the most popular girls in school, Fawcett, Caprice, and Schlee. It's short for Ashley, but she changed it to Schlee because she wanted to sound cooler. There's nothing cool about Schlee. Stop trying to make Schlee happen. <laughs> and Fawcett rules the popular kids. Caprice, uh, who's the, the only black uh, popular girl, rules the minorities and the theater kids. And then Schlee <laughs> leads the Mormon clique. Oh, that makes sense. Mormons have weird fucking names anyway. But she brought it on herself. I'm, not all Mormons, but like Deep Montan or um, Utah Mormons have some of the most bizarre names out there. But what about the... Okay, are they as bad as the Puritan names? Um, McKennedy. Yeah, that's not nearly as bad as the Puritan names and shit like I was a fly on the wall of Jesus' birth or shit like that. <laughs> Okay, those people were making it up as a go. I'll I'll find some crazy ass Mormon names for you. Uh the, this is my son. Don't be a bastard, O'Flannery. <laughs> I don't know if there was any crossover between the Irish, the Irish, and the Puritans. Anyways, Tanner and Brent—they're the only gays in school, and I can relate because I was once the only gay in my school, and also my name's Tanner. Yes. <laughs> and. Uh, Tanner is a lot more uh, unassuming, and Brent is a lot more camp, and Brent has a cunning plan that he is going to come out to the popular girls so that they can literally use him as an accessory, because then he will be the their gay best friend, and he will be their arm candy to show that they are cool and hip and fashionable, and therefore he will never have to worry about being bullied. Huh. But meanwhile, <laughs> there's a secret fourth wannabe popular girl named Soledad... Okay. She's played by the singer Jojo. Oh. Remember Jojo? Vaguely. Remember Get Out, Leave Right Now? Yep. She got her first hit at like 14 years old, and then 10 years later she was being interviewed and she was like, yeah, I don't know why anyone let me have a hit music sensation. That was terrible. I was 14. Yeah. Pop music industry is the worst. 
Yes, but that's a different topic. Yeah. So, Soledad played by Jojo, who I'm, I'm sure at some point in this episode I'm going to refer to as Jojo Ladad. Um, that's the next arc of Jojo's Bizarre Adventure, also. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, she and her friends have tried to create a gay-straight alliance because they also want to use the power of the gay best friend to become popular. Uh, the only problem is that there are no gays in the gay-straight alliance because no one is openly gay. <laughs> So, so the the Gay Straight Alliance downloads Grinder in order to suss out any secret gays at the school, and it just so happens that Tanner downloaded Grinder as a joke with Brent, and so the the GSA hunts Tanner down and finds him and outs him to the entire school, and then oh. immediately the three popular girls, the real popular girls, not Jojo Dad. They, like, pounce on him and start fighting over him and want him to be... They want him to pick one of them so that they will be the, the, the most popular girl in school on account of, I have a gay now. <sighs> now, fortunately, this whole thing is pretty satirical, and it very much points out the fact that, hey, maybe don't use the gays as, your, you know, an accessory, and an arm candy thing. They're, they're real people with real stuff going on. Um, but even as it goes through, it also shows that the girls have hidden depths. For example, Fawcett is secretly a chemistry wizard because she makes all her own shampoos. Uh, okay. But her main thing is that she's able to protect Tanner from any bullying happening at the school. And then oh. Caprice just finds a gay transfer student for him to date. Okay. Which, it, it, it sounds weak on paper, but in the actual movie, she, like, she points out that he, like, she goes up and like, this is not some kind of sexless fashionista. He actually wants a relationship just like everyone, and I'm going to get him one. I have mail-ordered you another gay to date. Huh. Um, and then Schlee's hidden depth is that, I guess, she just doesn't understand how Mormonism works. Okay. Because... <laughs> Because she's she goes on about how like she loves and accepts Tanner and she's not he doesn't have to worry about her, and then people keep pointing out. But doesn't the Mormon Church like have terrible views of homosexuality? And she's like, does it? I didn't hear about that. Huh. So alternative Mormon names for Schlee could be Afton, Mikkel, Karma spelled with a C, McCall. Hmm, I don't like that. Uh, Taylor, Oakley, Oakley. Spelled differently. That one doesn't hit the alarm bells the same way Karma with a C does, because Karma with a C sounds like uh, an erectile dysfunction drug. Ah. <laughs> Boston with a Y. Kennedy spelled K-E-N-N-A-D-E-E. Mm, that sounds like a state. Anyways, also, Shalee's boyfriend is, is in the closet. He's a closet gay, too, because... It's always the trope of the most uh, the most religious person is also the gay one, which I'm over it. I mean, okay, I say I'm over it, but like it does happen in real life. Like that internalized homophobia is a thing. I'm not yeah. gonna say it's not. It just seems like it's all if if you go off movies and television, that's always the case. Everyone who's homophobic is secretly gay. Would no sometimes most times they're just bigots. Yeah. Like, listen, I love the Karofsky storyline in Glee, but it wasn't necessarily groundbreaking. <laughs> Anyways, while the three girls are fighting over Tanner, Brent is kind of left out in the dust because he didn't get to come out and claim all the glory of being the only gay high schooler in the school. 
And so that drives a rift between him and Tanner. And also they have two other friends, Sophia and Glenn, and they're like, hey guys, re remember when we were the cool outcasts and now you guys are fighting with each other and Tanner's real popular and Brent's abandoned every all hope and oh no, now we're stuck out here. Great. So basically my idea was that it, it's a, it's a long, not long form, yeah, long form. I don't know what the term long form means. My idea was that it's a, it's a teen drama series. Okay. In the same vein as having never seen Faking It, I feel like it would be closer to Faking It. And I'm not just saying that on account of the fact that the guy who plays Tanner, Michael J. Willett, was also the main gay on Faking It. Was it Faking <laughs> It or was he on Awkward? Let me check. You know, we used to be swimming in teen dramas, and then for whatever reason MTV decided that it wasn't going to ever have a scripted series again. Which is too bad, because... There is some good stuff in a lot of their scripted series. I mean, Teen Wolf kind of went off the rails, but I liked most of it. Yeah. Like, is it all reality TV shows? In which case, I think it it's, is... it's all reality TV now. Okay, so it's technically not scripted, but they still have a script writer credit. Well, the way that I like to talk about uh, the reality TV stuff, it's the, or the way me and Mom talk about it, usually about The Bachelor, is that it's not scripted. But there are producers in place to just kind of nudge people in the the quote-unquote right direction. Mm. Yes, Michael J. Willett was on Faking It, where he was an already popular gay guy. So what this means is that we can't have Michael J. Willett return. I think also he's like 30 now, so that doesn't work anymore. Yeah. Um, but also because then people would just be like, it's Faking It! Again! Yeah. I think we can just, like, find some new teen actors... Yeah, they Late can... Late teens? Early 20s? I mean, we can say predominantly unknown, but the way things are going, odds are one of the... Actually, no. If, okay, if we were to put this into production like tomorrow, then probably one of the It children would end up in it, but... Yeah. Odds are, odds are if this was... If we were actually to get a hold of the the stu the power, the means, <laughs> it, it, it would be a few years until that could actually happen, at, at which point they're all, they're all new kids, and maybe one... One young up and coming, I don't know, music sensation, the new JoJo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Listen, JoJo was pretty like under the radar for the longest time, and this was the first time anyone like really saw her again. Yeah, and she had a decent singing voice. She oh, she had a great singing voice. The problem was that everything just happened so fast. Yeah, and I she think she wanted, also... She kind of... She wanted to, like, break out, branch out, and do her own thing, and she got was stuck in a draconian contract because everyone gets stuck in a draconian contract, especially women. Yeah, and I think it was just bad timing, too, because, like, she was around the same time as, like, Hilary Duff and the Simpson sisters, and... Yeah. Lindsay Lohan was trying to have a music career. Yeah, it was very much... It was crowded. Uh, it was very crowded with these young actresses that were starting to break out, and only a few of them were going to make it. Yeah. And L L Lindsay Lohan kind of did. It's just that her own personal life stuff happened. Um, yeah. She burned out very quickly, and now she's yachting. I mean, good for her, I guess. She's permanent entourage. The, that honestly seems a bit more relaxing. I mean, after all the shit that Lindsay Lohan has had to go through, I'm fine with her just having a chill, the chill life of a socialite. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, e eat the rich, but Lindsay Lohan deserves to relax a little bit. Mm-hmm. Same, same situation with Amanda Bynes. Yeah. 
Anyways, um, gosh, what were some of the things, I was trying to think of points that I could hit in this episode, of just things that could be expanded on. I think just showing more of the characters and more of their home lives would be interesting, but that's yeah. kind of the same thing I said about whatever two weeks ago. <laughs> um. <laughs> I, need, I need to part the curtain. I'm kind of on a teen drama state of mind right now. That's okay, we all get stuck on something. Just because um, some of my original works in progress are, they focus on the teens. And even though it's probably not a good idea when you're writing a, a like prose fiction novel, I still tend to picture things as how they would be adapted into film and television. And so I'm looking to teen dramas to like see what kind of stuff they do and what the good I should take from it and the bad I should avoid. Yeah. Um, my one contribution to this figuring out what we could expand upon is why are there three popular girls vying for school supremacy? How did this happen? You know, that is a good question. And here's the thing is that when you look to other teen drama stuff, the popular girls that realistically, when you have a quote unquote popular girl, she's going to be a senior because she's had the four years to like build the clout. Yeah. But they're never seniors in the TV shows unless the main characters are also seniors. But for example, Stargirl, the most popular girl in school is in the same grade as the main character, Courtney. And I'm assuming that they're sophomores. Yeah. And or if you look at Glee, where Quinn for Bray and the rest of the Unholy Trinity, they were the Cheerios, and the Quinn was at the top of the pyramid, which is both a metaphor and literal. Yeah. And they were at the top of the high school pecking order, but they were also sophomores. And you you kind of wonder how... I could understand if every individual grade had this quote-unquote Queen Bee, but I've never understood how the popular girls get popular across the entire school in these teen soaps if they're only if they've only been in the high school for a single year unless yeah. it's money yeah like i think part of it too is just laziness on the part of the writers because they want to have these characters stick around in the school for as long as possible and if you have a senior they get moved up to university and guess what there are no popularity clicks there <laughs> it's just departmental infighting fuck the engineers <laughs> Um, I mean, I would be the showrunner who, if I was in charge of a team soap, I would say, listen, once you've graduated, unless we've, like, established some kind of next generation that we can continue telling stories with, once y'all graduate, the show's over. Yeah. Like, Degrassi, we've covered Degrassi, but Degrassi's whole shtick is built on, we come on introducing new kids, and Degrassi, it kind of made sense, they're the ones who kind of had every grade has its own popular girl, and, yeah. you know... A freshman popular girl, at least that makes sense, because some of those, they carry over from a middle school or an elementary school. Yeah. In Degrassi, Tori Santamaria, she was the top of the class in grade school, and then she got up to grade nine in Degrassi, and while she was treated as a loser by the girls who were grades above her, she was also the most popular girl in the ninth grade. And, like... It seems like kids tend to stick with, especially like if you're talking like grade eight, grade nine, because that's usually when high school starts, unless you're weird. Um, kids tend to stick with their the school that they were in previous. So 
Yeah. If you're from a certain middle school, you're going to stick with your middle school friends before you kind of start spreading it. If you're like here and we don't have a middle school system, we just go elementary to high school and there's a whole bunch of problems with that, then you'll stick with your elementary school friends at first. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think, if I mean, if you look at the the three popular girls, you could definitely say that Fawcett is popular because of her money. Yeah. Because, like, what her small little arc is that no one at the school really likes her. And I yeah. don't think her money is a factor in the movie itself, but she's a pretty blonde high school girl and she's popular, so odds are she has money. Also, she's got to have money if she can afford her own fucking homemade shampoo lab. Yeah. So it's, she has stuff, maybe, um... Yeah, let's go with the money angle, so she'll probably have a large house. Maybe people want to have parties over there. Yeah, I think they do actually have a party. After. There is a wild high school party, and I'm pretty sure it is at Fawcett's house. Yeah, and like kids are going to be shitty and just like hang out with you because they want access to something. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Caprice, who is the... She's the black popular girl who is in charge of the theater kids and the minorities. Here's something I can actually... I can't talk, obviously can't talk about from personal experience, but it's something I've seen pop up on my Twitter feed mm-hmm. as I'm, like, looking at stories and following things and stuff, is the idea that, like, as of recording, this is something that really came out the past few days, the idea that black women have to do everything for you. Yeah. And this is, a, a, this is basically just me parroting opinions I've seen from other people who are obviously a lot more learned than I am, but this there's this idea that like, they prop black women up as queens and icons and put them on a pedestal and, oh, and you're gonna, you're gonna save us and you're gonna teach us and you're gonna lead us out of the darkness. And that's a lot of fucking pressure to put on people. Mm-hmm. So there could definitely be something in, uh, what's her name? Caprice. I have to think about her name because I, I had a character inspired by her in what that has gone through many of my original works and in my latest one the character's name was Sharice and I didn't realize that she had been influenced by that until I went back and looked at this like oh that's where the, I thought that name just bubbled out of my mind no Caprice Sharice all right then Caprice that she would definitely have a plot about there's a lot of pressure on her to be the capital T, the queen, the iconic black woman of this high school. She has to be at the top of all of the black girl magic. It, so it says that she is the, in charge of the singers, drama students, and ethnic minorities. I doubt that was a self uh, I doubt that was a self-appointed position. Yeah. And you know, it, pro- it probably sprung out of her like wanting to help people and being able to make friends really easily. And then all of a sudden it just turns into we're, we're going to put all of our problems on Caprice's shoulders on account of she's, she's already been doing it and she clearly likes it because she keeps doing it. Right. That's, that's how friendship works. Right. Yeah. It's um, in my mind, the, you know, the title for the series, better call Saul. It's like a whole bunch of better call Caprice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That would like that would be the episode title. <laughs> We're really we really dig into her backstory. Um and then with Ashley Schley. Oh, I still uh, fucking hate that. She's the Mormon Queen Bee who rules the list. So she's she's obviously the son of the Mormon minister. That's how she's able to get her popularity. I don't know how religious kids would be super popular. They'd almost be kind of weird to be around 
Yeah, especially in New... I don't know what the Mormon scene is like in New Jersey. Yeah. Unle- well, let, let's think. If, see, I doubt they would be popular because they're religious. It's... It would be... They're, they're popular for the same reasons that other people are popular. Is because they exude an aura of glamour and class. Maybe they're not as old money as Fawcett, but they are definitely going to have some money involved in them. And with this, yeah. with this specific kind of religious clique. Yeah. There's a lot of money and religion down them the states. And also, I would expect her to be exceedingly blonde and have perfect teeth. Actually, she's a redhead. Oh, still perfect hair and almost creepily perfect teeth. Yes. Oh. Actually, her, it's her boyfriend who has the creepy perfect teeth. Okay, but, oh my god, they're Donnie and Marie. Oh, god. Because, <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, so I listen to, like, I think everybody knows I listen to stuff like True Crime and Last Podcast on the Left. and What? I've never heard, heard of this. <laughs> so, uh, one of the pieces of advice that Henry Zabrowski of Last Podcast on the Left has espoused because he lives in L.A. There's cults fucking everywhere in L.A. And he's like, whatever you do, do not get sucked into how cult leaders talk. You'll realize that when you hear it. It's very circular. It's a lot of nonsense words that kind of sound smart, but they're not. So maybe Caprice is a bit of a cult leader in the making. I... I mean, Mormonism itself is a little bit like that. Or not Caprice, Schley. No, we're going to call her Ashley because it's it feels better in the mouth. Yes. <laughs> um, like, yeah, Ashley is kind of being... Groomed isn't the right term in this specific context, but she's being trained yeah. to pull people in. And so that that's why they're the clique is because, like, yeah, on the outside, they look like the cool, fun people to be around. And they certainly don't party as hard, but that's going to suck in the people who don't necessarily want to party as hard. Yeah. I'm suddenly realizing, if there are any cult leaders <laughs> at my high schools I went to, I feel like I would have been a great mark, which is concerning when I think about it. <laughs> um, but, like, Ashley's whole arc is her learning to, like, kind of break out of her cage and break out of the the restrictions that her religion has put on her. And it's Mormonism, so it's totally fine for us to dunk on it. Mm-hmm. Because it is a cult. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, I follow a Mormon YouTuber on, uh, well, social media. Yeah. Uh, but I think at this point, he's basically said, I'm a Mormon in the sense that I, pra- I practice what they preach, but like they wouldn't actually agree with any of the stuff I do because of that. Yeah. And honestly, there are like really cool... Uh, liberal segments of Mormonism that are really into it's almost sci-fi-ish because there's a whole group that's really into transhumanism because it actually really fits in well with Mormon beliefs now you I get what you're saying and I get the appeal but you do have to be careful with that because um so transhumanism can come very dangerously close to eugenics and also uh, you know what? You know what other re- culty religion has sci-fi elements? Scientology. Yeah, I guess the the neat non-eugenic stuff is more like, hey, uploading our brains into something into basically a cloud, possible yeah. immortality. Yeah. Even then, I'm dubious about the immortality stuff. But yeah, M- Mormon Church, I'm fine with dunking on because good Mormons have basically left the church in all but name. And they actually practice being a decent person. 
and yeah. then everyone else has totally won into a religion that was basically founded on anti-First Nations racism. And, and most well, other people, but especially First Nations. And also Joseph Smith was a fucking con artist. Like, yeah. he basically wrote the Book of Mormon so that he wouldn't have to become a farmer. Like, it wasn't even supposed to, like, start a religion. It was just to sell a whole bunch of books. Uh, yeah. Also, speaking of Book of Mormon, I haven't seen it, but I've heard that it's not as clever as it thinks it is. Mm. But the point being is that Ashley's whole arc is that she kind of breaks out of the Mormon church. And she can, she's like, yeah. she can hang on to the important parts of her faith that aren't harmful to other people. That's, that's kind of the, the circular thing I was trying to say is that yeah. you, you can be quote-unquote Mormon in the sense that you hang on to the parts that are about like helping people and being kind and discard everything that is like everyone outside of the church is a bastard and homosexuality is a sin. Oh, speaking of sins, you know who else is in this film? Who? Ivana Lynch. Oh, okay. Which, she she plays the the bad Mormon. Ah. <laughs> She's the one who spearheads the move to, like, convince Ashley that homosexuality is a sin. And it was a fun, cute thing back in 2013. It was like, oh, hey, it's in the love good. Uh, but unfortunately, Ivana Lynch has thrown her lot back in with J.K. Rowling. And so, oh. for, the, for the purposes of Harry Potter nostalgia, the role of Luna Lovegood is now being played by, uh, what's it called? A life model decoy. Yeah. <sighs> What else was in here? Oh, yeah. So, Brent. Brett. Brent. B-R-E-N-T. I always get Brett and Brent mixed up, and I don't like it. And I will never name my children either of those. They're too close names. They're far too close. It's like the whole Ryan-Brian situation. But, okay, Ryan and Brian, you can at least tell apart, because there's a hard B. Not always. But I'm never going to accidentally call your brother Brian. (laughs) Yeah, because he would pummel you. <laughs> no, but, but even if that weren't the case, I wouldn't. Because I, I'm talking like, if, 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 I, if I had a husband named Brent, I would still probably accidentally call him Brett because the names are so close. Whereas at least with Ryan and Brian, maybe you could mishear it, but you're not going to mispronounce it. Yeah, send them And back. then Caprice and Charisse is just my own damn fault. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, so Brent. His whole thing is that he was going to be, he was supposed to be the GBF, but then he was kind of banished, not banished, but he, he was kind of discarded by Tanner because Tanner got swept up in the popularity. And okay. So in the movie, Tanner doesn't actually really buy into the stuff. Like he's only in it because he managed to get a boyfriend and he managed to get protection from the bullying. Mm -hmm. Whereas like in the show, I feel like Tanner would start to buy into it and he would become like the kind of the kind of white gay because it's always the white gays who do this that they once they get popular enough they believe they can do no wrong because they've they've been through so many hardships and odds are even if they have at a certain point you you can only use bullying as an excuse for so much of your bad behavior Mm -hmm. and that's a lesson that in the show tanner will probably have to learn the hard way yeah and then meanwhile there's brent who is like kind of trying to weasel his way in, but like he really, when he's put on the spot, he's not as ready to come out as he thought he was. Yeah. And what ends up happening at the end basically is that the bad Mormon refuses to let Tanner take his mail order boyfriend to prom. And so Fawcett holds an anti-prom. And so then in order to get back at Fawcett, Caprice 
takes Brent as her date to the official prom, and then they make it an anti-gay prom in order to curry favor with the Mormon kids, but then that gets them shut down by the school, and then the anti-prom becomes the official prom, and then everyone goes to the anti-prom. And the point is that, like, it, it drives a huge wedge between the two friends, and it's unfortunate. And also, one thing I really like in the movie is that even though they're, like, the two main gays is that they never actually get together and they do choose to stay friends because they don't want a potential relationship that could blow up in their face to ruin what they already have yeah and i like that and that's something i would definitely keep in the show if they ever dated it would be like one episode but before they realize this is a terrible idea mm-hmm. and then honestly in show format it would probably only last like the the concept or the premise of the movie would only really cover the first season and after that it's just free reign baby And I could potentially throw out plots that they could cover, but at that point, it's just like, what's something you would like to see in any teen soap? Because, like, listen, they all have their own unique flavors, but they also cover almost all the same things. Well, it it depends. It depends if they want to be a drama soap or a learning soap. Yeah. Well, no matter what, someone will get, I don't know, a slushy chucked on their shirt. I feel like that's too owned by Glee. I think they would only be allowed to do that if they had a musical episode. This is definitely the kind of show that would have a musical episode. Yeah. But it, like a better musical episode than the stuff they did on Riverdale. <laughs> also, like, how did they get away with those particular musicals at their high school? Like... Be- well, because they're the the most dramatic. Okay. Like, I don't, I don't know what they were thinking when... I have I've only seen clips, but they went with Hedwig and the Angry Inch for season four. It's an explicitly an extremely queer musical, and they have all of these straight couples singing about being left on the sidelines of society. Yeah, no, no, that's <laughs> well, the whole the whole Just thing was do like a fucking normal ass musical. Like I don't know, you're in town. Just get all the poop oh, jokes in. I would, listen, I would kill to see Riverdale put on urine town. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, I mean, uh, Town is probably still not available for them to do. Snuff That Girl from urine town uh, is a bop. Yeah. Ever, see, I, I wasn't at school when they put on urine town. I was still in Calgary, uh, so we got to see The Wiz. Okay. The... <laughs> To, to quote a, a thing from Glee, an all-white production of The Wiz, <laughs> which is better than an all-white production of Hairspray, yeah. but still feels weird. Yeah. Uh, what's another subversive one that a high school could get away with? Um, Cabaret. Ah, that's possible. Yeah. But or see, it's not, it's not schlocky enough. I feel like if Riverdale tries to do another musical next season... Then they're gonna do like Evil Dead. <laughs> First, Campbell has to make a cameo. Yeah. <laughs> that chin. See, listen. If if GBF were to do a musical episode, either it would be a jukebox musical or they just write original songs. Yeah. Like I feel. This I know MTV isn't doing scripted series anymore, but I feel like this would be right at home on MTV. I'm pretty sure Michael J. Willett got his role on Faking It because he was received really well in GBF. Yeah. Um, 
It hasn't, and so if it's going to be on MTV, obviously it's going to have like really. There's going to be songs on the soundtrack that get big because they're on the soundtrack, and so it'd probably be similar to the Grey's Anatomy musical where they just sing songs that happened at key moments in the show's history. Yeah, a lot of soft rock. Nah, I mean that was Grey's. I don't know what what the GBF soundtrack yeah. would be because I'm not making it. And like, really, it's <laughs> this is just me saying I would like to create a tin soap. Don't we all? We all do. We all, well, because we all, we all still have, like, baggage from high school that we want to saddle onto fictional characters. Mm-hmm. Or either that, or we're, we all have been inspired by a teen soap that we saw in the past that we want to, like, well, we want to remake it, and we want to do right by the characters. Yeah. Man, I should make a teen soap about the early life of Elizabeth I. Take that, Rain. <laughs> I was gonna say, is this a period piece or is it is it uh, updated to modern times and everything's a metaphor? Well, okay. In the case of Rain, it was a period piece, but the costuming was like straight from a prom dress store for the longest fucking time. It was the worst. <laughs> there, there were perfectly good gowns from the mid mid sixteenth century that would have worked fine, but apparently the costuming department was too fucking lazy to sew. The CW also, it, at one point it was the go-to place for the teen soaps, but now everyone's kind of aged up, and even though, obviously, there's a large teen market for the shows that are on, I don't think anyone there are actual teenagers except Riverdale, and they're going to be graduating, they were supposed to graduate this season, but then obviously stuff happened, so they're going to yeah. be graduating next season. So I, I, the CW needs more teen shows. I, I really do hope that Stargirl ends up moving off of DC Universe and solely onto the CW. Okay. Because it deserves to be seen by everyone else. Yeah. Um, or at the very least, it keeps on airing on CW, like, with the day after it airs on DC Universe. Yeah. Um, but, like, even Roswell, because Roswell originally was a teen soap, and they've aged everyone up into young adults. And kind of want to watch it, because apparently Jamie Clayton's on it now, and she's boss. But the point being is that where are our teen soaps? Yeah. I don't, I guess they're all on Freeform now, except I don't even think there's anything left on Freeform at this point. Yeah. I keep hearing about Freeform, but I've never seen anything on Freeform. But also, I don't have cable. I mean, that's what ABC Family became. Did you ever watch? No, you didn't watch Shadowhunters. No. Yeah, I think, ah, oh, gosh. I've, I think I've covered all the ground that I could have. Because, like, soaps kind of write themselves after They really do. And, like, there, there's gonna be go-to plots for any teen soap that you can cover. Yeah. Because, like, here, here's the episode where a party goes wrong. Here's the episode where someone learns how to drive. Here's an episode on your parents splitting up. Here's an episode on... A very special episode on alcohol. Mm-hmm. Either, either that or just, no, everyone's drinking all the time. I guess it's more, uh, please drink responsibly. Yeah. Um, obviously the stuff I was talking about with Caprice, that we, there would be digging into race stuff, mm-hmm. but that, w- that wouldn't be a very special episode. That would be a through line. Yeah. And I feel, I feel like e- even though most of the characters could carry their own subplots, I feel like the characters Caprice, Fawcett, and Tanner, and probably Brent, they're the ones that are going to be owning most of the screen time because they would have the most interesting stuff to delve into if we yeah. start expanding on their characters from yeah, the film. the most, as it turns out, depth. Yeah. 
not at all. And plus, they're probably going to be just knowing how things like play out in terms of Teen Soap fandom, they would probably end up being the most popular characters just by default. And so it's a good thing they're already the leads. But they have a very, they have a very similar dynamic of the Rachel, Kurt, Santana trio that ended up dominating the back half of Glee. I'm just thinking, I feel like there was, since this was specifically uh, put on the poll for Pride Month, I do want to just talk about some of the other queer stuff going on in here, just because this, okay, the movie came out in 2013, and the era of, let's face it, the era of the Obama administration was kind of a weird one, because things did, I'm not going to say things didn't improve, but because they did, but according to, if you look at the media that came out around that time, you would think that they improved a lot faster than they did in real life. And of course, now we're in a situation where we're seeing now how, like, the progress that we've made, either it wasn't as much as we thought, or it's there's a lot more pushback than we realized if you're solely going off of media. And let's be fair, this is mostly, pretty much only talking about white media, because even if you you have a whole bunch of other stuff going on, just being white, you're protected from a lot of the realities of people's situations. Mm-hmm. And the movie, it treats the coming out like a major thing in the text, but in the execution, it's almost swept under the rug, kind of. Huh. And... The act of coming out is a weird thing because, to borrow something that my mom says, and she says this about a lot of social issues, it's something that it shouldn't be a big deal, but it is. And so that's how we have to treat it until things change. Yeah. And if you compare the coming out stuff in GBF, which, like, it kicks off the plot, then just kind of goes away in comparison to the other stuff that happens, if you compare that to Love, Simon, which... Again, it's it's a it's got a white gay, and so there's only so much you can dig into. But that that came out uh, after 2016, and so things were a lot more, I guess, cynical or realistic. And the outing of Simon is given the gravity that it requires. And even after everything, it still treats its queer character, its black queer characters, with the respect and it doesn't go all the way into it because it is just a 90 minute movie and it's focusing on simon but at least it gives a nod to them which is something okay what am i i'm trying to say that like it's gonna be the act of coming out is different for everyone and depending on what you are coming out as and what your background is and what your culture is it is going to be harder or easier like there are so many factors that play into it and i think that a gbf show could definitely dig a lot into that into like how it can be traumatizing for some people or for like for some people they do do it super casually but that almost how do i say this they do it so casually that it kind of betrays that they don't recognize the privilege that they have that tanner could easily come out as gay but or how about this? Let's look at the upcoming show, Love, Victor, which, actually, I think it's out by the time this episode will come out. But, like, in... And I have no idea how it's going to play out. <laughs> I don't even know if I'll watch it or not. I'm definitely going to have to pirate it, because I have neither Disney Plus nor Hulu. One of these days, we're going to smash all of these monopolies. We're just going to be possessed by the spirit of Teddy Roosevelt. But, you like, you heard about what happened with Love, Victor, right? 
No, I haven't. It was so it's a spin-off of Love Simon. Okay. And originally it was going to air on Disney Plus and then it was moved to Hulu. And like the official word is that oh it was moved to Hulu because they showed underage drinking and we don't want that on a family streaming service. But everyone else pointed out like hey this was going to be like a flagship big gay project for you guys and you moved it to the the service that you put all your quote unquote adult and mature shows on. So we know exactly why you moved it and you're not fooling anyone. Yeah. But we're not here to talk about that because there's not much to talk about other than that's bullshit bastardry. Mm -hmm. But in the trailer for Love, Victor, like it's like it's narrated by Victor writing an anonymous message to Simon. Like, hey, it's, it's cool that you were able to come out. But for us, it's not simple because the main character, Victor, he's Latino. And I don't know his family background. But just the fact the fact that he is not white is another issue on top of everything else. Yeah. That can make it harder for him because there's things that are expected of him, not just from within his own culture, but in the broader culture, by which I mean white culture. Yeah. Because unfortunately, those two are still the same thing. Mm -hmm. And so we, like, any show, but specifically GBF, could dig into that stuff. It could dig into the fact that a lot of white gay culture is really just black women. <laughs> yeah. It's co-opted from them. Heck, we could even do a race lift on Brent, and mm -hmm. he could be black, and then there's all the stuff of what's expected of him, and the home, like, you could talk about homophobia in the black community, but you can also talk about the stereotype of homophobia in the black community, because, yeah. like, it's really no different from any community, but how do I say this properly? There, there are ideas that get drummed into people, into people's heads that it's going to turn out a certain way. Yeah. And stuff gets internalized and marginalized groups are pitted against each other. Yeah. Like even now I'd like, I haven't seen much of it because I follow the right people, but I heard about like people getting mad that protests were happening during pride. Like it's our month. And then like, no, that's, that's not the point. You don't get to pick one or another. These issues are like intrinsically intertwined. You cannot just you cannot discard racial equality because you want to celebrate queer equality and vice versa. Yeah. Um. Liz, I'm not, and I'm not going to apologize for some heavy stuff slipping in because it is stuff that we have to talk about, and we have to talk about it beyond just special months that were declared by the government. Yeah, and everything is fucking complicated, sorry. They are complicated issues, and... And intertwined, and just, like, it's a lot of... You're gonna have to deal with it all. Exactly, and and in, in our very small microcosm of things we can affect, like, once again, I'm gonna say, we're, we aren't equipped to handle it if this was something we were actually putting into production, but we can talk about the way it should handled, and we can... If we were given the opportunity, we would bring in the proper voices to speak truth to it, to that, truth to the subjects. Yeah. But right now, the best we can do is say, hey, wouldn't it be cool if a show actually talked about this? Yeah. So, can you think of anything else you could throw into this? No. It's kind of like, I don't want to dismiss it as a soap, but soaps write themselves. Yeah, oh, and I don't think that's dismissing. I think that's just acknowledging a factor in the medium. Yeah. And in the genre. That at, at a certain, like, you can start off with, 
the dramatic event, but unless you have dramatic things happening throughout the show, they're just kind of kind of go on autopilot because eventually they turn into slice of life. Yeah. Like if you look at faking it, faking it was kicked off by two girls pretending to be lesbians for popularity. That that's actually that's kind of something that falls right into this. <laughs> now that I think about it, but like the entire show didn't follow that premise. That was just like the kicker, and then yeah. after that, the show it just started rolling on its own because it could just tell its own plots about high school yeah. drama and shenanigans. And eventually, you're gonna get to like season six, and you're trying to summarize the plot so far, and you realize, oh fuck, this is the dumbest thing ever. A good sort of dumb. Yeah. It sounds stupid when you say it, but when you watch it, it's like, oh, this is actually brilliant. Mm-hmm. Like, unless you're gonna be, like, a Riverdale or a Buffy where you have a whole myth arc mystery going on in the background. Or just supernatural elements in general. Yeah. Because I feel like even Pretty Little Liars was able to go on autopilot for a while because th- there was only so much they could dedicate to that. Yeah. Basically, they just went, hey, we're, like, good VC Andrews, but TV. um like that's why i like a degrassi because it's like it wasn't always just a show to learn the kids a thing sometimes it was just here's what the teens have happening to them today and sometimes it's most the most not the most dramatic things sometimes it's just the normal relationship dynamics playing out yeah because that's how it'd be and teens are by default dramatic teens will always go for the most dramatic solution Mm mm-hmm and I think that's a good spot to end this. So, uh, before we hop into the Friendship promo, we want to remind everyone that if you are able to continue protesting, continue signing petitions, and continue donating to charities helping BIPOC people and trans people and queer people uh, donate to help fight the famine in Yemen, all that stuff. There's many a situation happening in the world, and w- we offer you this hour of respite, but now you got to get back into it. Yeah. And now we shall go to a friendship promo. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Night Who here, coming to talk to you about Clash, the sibling rivalry podcast. This is a new podcast uh, that I'm doing with my brother. I'm Night Hoot, and my brother is... My name is Tizzler, um, and yeah, I will be the co-host for this podcast. So just to give you a few things about what we're talking about uh this is a podcast about gaming anime and general pop culture uh we like to talk about the games we're playing the tv we're watching um we definitely will highlight anime and anything that we find to be important to us currently in that week yeah so um this is a new project and we really hope y'all enjoy this um we think we have a little bit of a different perspective that's not really out here in the in the in the pop culture pop culture nerdy uh podcast sphere um we're actually two black siblings here in america um we have uh i would say relatively different viewpoints on most things um but we also agree on a lot and we think our dynamic works out well so we just want to come on here and talk to y'all about things that we normally would talk about like behind closed doors we figure why not let y'all hear some of that too so yeah and and to be honest we're tired of our own opinions so (laughs) the whole point of doing this is to talk to you guys yeah so one thing i can ask you guys to do for us is say hey to us at sibling rivalry 
clash at gmail.com <laughs> had to take a That's second look at that rivalry clash at gmail.com <laughs> but yeah we hope y'all check us out right into us right in everything um all your feelings about the podcast and we shall read some of them on the show feel free to argue with this too because i love arguing i will take on any challenge any challenge whatsoever um and we all argue respectfully so no worries there yeah for we're sure we're not gonna like we're not gonna like come at your mom if we don't like your opinion about goku <laughs> we might no just kidding we're not gonna do that. <laughs> we keep it pretty respectful but it gets heated sometimes um yeah. but yeah so check us out and hopefully y'all enjoy So, Lindsay, where can you be found on the internet? I can be found on Twitter at LindsayM476. It's Lindsay spelled with an A, and you can get to all my other social media bullshits from there. Tanner, where can people find you? I can be found on Twitter at SparkyUpstart and on Instagram at SparkyYoungUpstart. You can also find this very podcast on Twitter at N-I-I-R-Y-F-Pod. Those are the letters for Not If I You First, and they're pronounced so homodorable. That still sounds weird. Zasha Rockmore says it with much more charisma than I can. Okay. You can also email us at notifiedbutyoufirst at gmail.com where you can send us your comments, critiques, criticisms, or your favorite movie starring JoJo. <laughs> you could even ask to be a guest, but if you do, make sure you send us a hint instead of the entire idea because we like being surprised. Uh, and this is the part where I remind y'all once again that we accept basically any guests. Um, we have very few limitations on what you could possibly reboot. Um, if, if you message us, I'll send you the one thing that we've kind of like locked down that we specifically want to do ourselves. Anything else is on the table. Remember, Sam Gash showed up and talked about movie theaters. We had one guest who wanted to reboot the concept of tabletop games, which I don't think could fit in a single hour. But hey, who knows? Let's see what happens. Yeah. Um... And then also, you can also email us to send us your friendship promos, or if you aren't able to record a new promo for your podcast or YouTube channel or DeviantArt page, then you can just send us a proof and we'll read it off on your behalf. We'll give you the same kind of clout that big podcasts will give to me undies. <laughs> and you can also rate interview us on your podcatcher of choice, and if you can't find us on your podcatcher of choice, then contact me and I'll try and get us in there. Not if I Reboot You First is a member of the Corner Podcast Network, and you can find out more about the other awesome shows that we share the network with at CornerPodNet on Twitter. And last but not least, our cover art, as always, is by Alex, a.k.a. Pachu, and her work can be found on ptchew.com, and our theme music is done by our friend Sean Clake, and you can contact us to find out how to contact him if you'd like music of his own for your own. So, Lindsay. Tanner. What are you planning on doing next week? From forth the fated loins of these two foes, a pair of star-crossed lovers take their life, whose misadventure piteous overthrows, doth at their death bury their parents' strife. And then the clash starts playing in the background. <laughs> and so I will explain the context of that joke next week. <laughs> but not if we reboot you first. Bye.